So, uh, uh, hi, it's Graham here. Sorry to interrupt your podcast listening like this, but uh, I wondered if you could do us a little favour. I haven't told Carol I'm going to do this, and frankly, I'm not sure she's going to find out. Let's maybe keep it that way, shall we? Uh, I don't think she listens to the podcast, so she won't hear that I've tacked this on to the beginning. But the European Security Blogger Awards, they're about to happen, and Smashing Security has been nominated in a couple of categories. Huzzah, huzzah! You can vote in the awards for your favourite security blogs and security podcasts, hint, hint, but you've only got a few days before the voting closes. So do it today. Do it now. Hit pause. Oh, not before I've told you the URL. It's smashingsecurity.com slash vote. That will redirect you through magic to the voting form. And, well, hey, made the best podcast co-hosted for the last six or so years by a Brit and a Canadian win. Um, yeah, over to you. Smashingsecurity.com slash vote. Thank you very much. We love you all, uh, at least the people who vote for us. Uh, but for now, back to your normal service. And uh, sorry about this interruption. Yes, yeah, so you could have a Scottish voice. You know, saying, Ock, aye, it's your McGoogle device here requiring a firmware update. Smashing Security, Episode 151. Frankly, sometimes paying the ransom is a good idea. With Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, Episode 151. My name is Graham Cluley. And my name's Carol Terrio. Hello, Carol. Uh, hello. How are you? Well, it's just you and me this week, isn't it? I know. Listen to the echo. Yeah, no guests this week, although... Yeah, don't be sad. We've got some cool stuff. So what cool stuff have we got coming up later? Well, I had a chat with Rachel Stockton from Log Me In LastPass fame, mm-hmm. and we're going to tag that on at the end of the show because she goes through the numbers of a recent report that they've pulled together. It is a whopper report, 42 or 50 pages or something, and we go through the highlights of that report, so you don't want to miss that. Okay, you're not reading out the entire report, 42, 45 um, pages. No, it's not like okay. the Mueller investigation. No, no. we're not going <laughs> to. <Okay. laughs> no, we, we've, 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 we've cherry-picked the cool things that we wanted to talk about. And, of course, the report is available for anyone who wants to read more. Well, talking about goodies, a little yes. birdie told me that we have updated our Patreon at patreon.com slash smashing security to offer some extra goodies to those people who support us at the $5 per month tier, the super-duper bonus content tier, where you get extra bickering between your hosts. So <laughs> do you want to tell people what they're going to get now, in addition to what they were already getting? Well, we're going to throw in three high-quality Smashing Security stickers. What? Yeah. No, I am. Not just one. Not just one. Not just for your laptop. Not just for your laptop and your phone. So you could stick these stickers on other people's laptops you could be basically become a hooligan and you could spread become the word yes. of smashing security around yeah i don't well actually i do recommend that because you know they're pretty nice <laughs> stickers we did design the logo and you know i'm still proud of it three years on so all right so uh so so if people sign up for that they can get that and thank you to everyone who has supported us so far yeah seriously high five i know we make this look like it's so much fun but this is edited to within an inch of its life <laughs> We actually have a laugh track that we make use of because often Graham doesn't laugh at me and there's only oh. one laugh and I just, well, you laugh at me. You don't laugh with me. Exactly. Very often. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly how it works. What have we got coming up on the show this week? 
Well, first, let's just say thank you to this week's sponsors, LastPass, Code42, and Immersive Labs. Their support helps us give you this show for free. Now, on today's show, Graham is doing a post-mortem on the Baltimore City ransomware attack. And I've got a message for you Google Home and Alexa users out there, and it's pretty scary. Halloween's around the corner, so uh, it's pretty fitting. All this and loads more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security. Buckle up, folks. Now, chum, chum. Uh, (laughs) Cute, cute. Now, I want to take you back in time. I want to take you back into, oh, through the ravages of time, way, way back to May the 7th. 2019. Yes. Oh, what? Like five uh, months ago? Exactly. About five months ago. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's because, see if I can get to the right headspace for that one. Because way back then, the city of Baltimore in the United States of America, the government computer networks there were infected with some ransomware called Robin Hood. Uh, as Robin with a double B. Right. I remember yeah. that. I don't know if there's an apostrophe as well, if it's really hip kind of ransomware. But anyway, yes, it infected them. And uh, they demanded that a ransom was paid for the safe recovery of encrypted files on the city's affected computers and servers. Right. Okay. So basically, typical ransomware attack, their files are locked up. And right. the ransom guy's like, give me some money and I'll give you your files, maybe. Exactly. And of course, we've seen many cities, particularly in the United States, being hit by ransomware over the course of the year. And some of the uh, cities have paid up and some of them haven't. Some of them have just claimed on their insurance and recovered. Well, in this particular case, the bad guys demanded around about $70,000 in cryptocurrency. But the Baltimore mayor, a guy who goes by the name of Bernard C. Young, although he likes to be called Jack I don't, oh. I don't understand that. But anyway, <laughs> I don't know what that's okay. about. But anyway, he refused to pay. He said, no, no, we're not going to pay. Ransomware blocks users from their files and demands payment to unblock them. But Mayor Young says the city won't be blackmailed. No, I will not pay a ransom to anybody. All city workers are at work today, whether they can do their jobs or not. Mayor Young also has an alternative in mind. If we are in this for um, longer than we anticipate, I'll be asking city employees who really can't do their work because of um, the computer systems, will they be willing to go out and help us clean up the city? Well, two weeks later, their computer systems were still down. All right, so what's going on during well, these two weeks? Oh, yeah, well, all kinds of problems. Their phone lines, their IP phone lines, they were down. Their online bill payments were affected. People couldn't even buy and sell their houses. Even surveillance cameras run by the police around the city were affected. Ooh, okay. So basically, they were they were just offline, effectively. They were knocked offline. Would that be fair? They, they were basically knocked offline. And I'm right. sure they actually took down some of their own systems while they were trying to recover. So they, they kept in place the absolute emergency systems. They seemed to managed to keep those up and running. Well, like 911. Yeah, exactly. Uh, right. But more or less everything else was disrupted by this. And it, the thousands of workers who work for the city there, they started using their own laptops, their own personal email addresses, like, oh, I'll just email from Yahoo. Others were using old-fashioned pen and paper. Yeah, but there's a lot of things going on in a city, right? There's all kinds of counselling going yes. on, and there's police work, and there's traffic problems. Oh, yes. And so I can understand why Croissants. users... 
You need I to go un- out and buy things for meetings. Yeah, all kinds of nonsense. But I can yes. understand why government employees would feel responsible for trying to stay online and fix these problems. And I can see why they would go and use their own personal email addresses and all that, which is, you know, a huge security risk in itself. You know, we can yes, go into that I, as well. And, and I'm not going to be actually talking about that potential issue in this case, because I think in dire situations, sometimes you have to try and work out what the best thing is to do to get the best outcome. Right. But anyway, in a news conference, the company's chief security boss, right? right. Chief cybersecurity, information security guy. Uh, a guy called, uh, you'll like this, his name is Frank Johnson. Okay. <laughs> I know you're very keen on the name Frank. I am. I'm yeah, it's a great name, isn't it? Anyway, he explained just how hard it is to keep ahead of the cyber criminals. In a news conference this morning, the city's chief information officer said it was unclear when the computer network would get back in use. Federal investigators asked the city to stay tight-lipped about details of the hack. Unfortunately, it is a race between bad actors in the cybersecurity industry. Just once they know how to mitigate and keep bad things out, the bad guys go one step ahead of them and we're in this vicious race. Now, what made things worse and more difficult in this particular case is, like I said, the mayor said he's not going to pay up, right? But Baltimore didn't have any insurance against cyber attacks. I wonder how, that's a really good point. I wonder how many government entities or state-run or city-run, you know, municipalities mm -hmm, mm -hmm. actually have insurance. Well, I... I'm sure it's on the up. I'm sure it's a big moneymaker at yeah. the insurance industry, certainly. <laughs> Though they but do have big, heavy payouts, I suppose. I, I, I think more and more organizations do have some form of cyber insurance these days, simply because ransomware and other attacks are becoming more mm. common. In this particular case, they didn't have it. And so it seemed that it was quite likely it's going to cost the city much more than $70,000 that the hackers were demanding to restore their data from backups and get systems safely back up and running again. But at least they had backups. At least they were able to recover eventually. That's not really the point of backups, though. That shouldn't cost 70 grand to get it back up and running again. I, I, I can imagine most organizations that would be probably true. But. There's different costs, aren't there? So, I mean, there's both the actual expense of restoring the backup, but there's also the expense of the downtime and the work which didn't happen. And right. Giving people overtime to come in, rebuild servers and, and things like that. So Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't as though they hadn't thought about insurance. In fact, Frank, our hero Frank, the info security chief, he had warned back in 2018 for the need for Baltimore to get cyber insurance on the budget. But the city had decided not to go for it. And they also didn't include other things which were recommended, like expanding staff security training to maybe protect them against threats from like ransomware, prevent users from clicking on things or dodgy links, and other improvements to the IT infrastructure that are being called for. So they hadn't done that, and Frank had been pushing for that. That's interesting because wasn't it in Trump's budget? That was one of the only areas that had got an increase in funding was the cybersecurity arm. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's interesting that cities, municipalities didn't get a big chunk of change to help them fix their systems. Yeah. Russia, if you're listening, we've increased our cybersecurity spending, uh, <laughs> I guess was the message he was giving out there. Now, the good news is that not all of the city's systems were actually run on its own computers, and so some escaped the attack. For instance, Baltimore's main website was actually hosted on Amazon Web Services. Right. right. So it's on in the cloud, basically. Like uh, on, lots of companies. Do. Yeah, and, yeah. And it was run by a contractor. Although... <laughs> Uh -oh. About a week after the ransomware attack, the website nearly disappeared, but not because of hackers. 
it nearly disappeared because the contractors who were running Baltimore's main website hadn't been paid and the contract had expired. Oh. Uh, so Baltimore had failed to be paying them. So the website was very nearly lost so as a result. So Baltimore are a bit in a pickle. They're not operating at uh, full capacity here. If oh, come, come, come. are making. Yeah, they're, okay. they're, they're having a few problems. Yeah, a little bit of a headache. But I'm sure Frank's got it all covered, right? I'm sure Frank's all right. So now all these unexpected costs, like recovering from a ransomware attack, They've got to be paid somehow, haven't they? You don't just find money down the back of the sofa. I do. Do you? Yeah, well, you know, my husband lies there a lot. So, yeah, I do. <laughs> the money yeah, falls out of my co- gets my daily coffee. Yeah. <laughs> well, in Baltimore's case, they transferred $6 million. Whoa. From a fund which they had to improve parks and public facilities to cover the recovery from the ransomware attack and hardening the security. That's obviously a, a lot more than the $70,000 that the extortionists wanted. Okay, but I don't know if that's very fair because even mm. had they paid the 70 grand and got all their files back, they would probably still have transferred money from the park and public facilities to cover hardening costs. Yes, to better secure. So I don't think it's fair. Ex- I, th- I think yeah. probably they probably did need to do that. that that's true. So it might have been five million instead of six. But let me dig a little bit deeper into this story because okay, there's go, a go, report go. in the Baltimore Sun, and this is what has brought me back to this story from earlier this year. It's a story about the city's IT department. You see, the city set up a council committee wanting to know how well the IT department was performing, if it was reaching its goals in modernising the infrastructure, you know, following concerns raised by the ransomware attack. Uh-huh. Okay. And so they asked for all kinds of data and performance metrics. Yep. And the IT department said, uh, computer says no. Can't deliver that. Why? Because they weren't collecting any information? They didn't have logs? Oh, no. They were collecting data. It's just that they weren't backing it up. <laughs> what had been happening was they'd been storing the data on their local hard drives. They never backed up their data to a server or to the cloud. Wow. So it turned out that this wasn't the only data which was regularly being just saved to their local hard drives rather than to the cloud or rather than to an external hard drive. They basically didn't appear to have very much in the way of any kind of backup infrastructure. And this is since the attack. This so this has five, been this, this has been going on. on since the ransomware attack and was occurring at the time of the ransomware attack as well. So when the mayor said, we're certainly not going to pay the guys who've extorted us, and when Frank Johnson was appearing in front of the media as the security chief, talking about how the bad guys keep on getting better and, you know, we, it's a constant battle. Well, maybe one of the things which they should have considered was, do we actually have any backups? The IT guys must have known this was the case. Well, they must have known. And why yeah. wasn't it fixed? Or why was he unable to convince the people who held in the purse strings that it would be quite a good idea to do off-site backups? Of some fashion. Crazy. So they said to Frank, your buddy Frank, they said, you know, you were on the front line during the ransomware attack. You lobbied for cybersecurity insurance. You know, you did all these things. But why wasn't this data being backed up? Now, all he was able to do was send a statement in saying, you know, he promised that this would be improved. But he was currently on extended leave and was unlikely to return. So basically, they kicked out Frank. Well, we don't know that. Maybe Frank is sick. Well. He apparently lost the confidence of the city. So so basically you're saying to me, Jack, 
Mayor Jack. Mayor Jack threw <laughs> Cyber Frank under the proverbial bus. If the buses had been running at the time. Yes. Had maybe, the buses been maybe running. Maybe they weren't. Maybe the schedule Maybe were. the schedule was all bad, which is why he got run over. And some in the media have been pointing out that before becoming Baltimore's Cyber Frank, uh, poor old Frank, what was his previous job? Well, he was a VP of sales at Intel and had no IT operations experience. Oh, which, so it feels a bit like a scratch your back. Yeah, you can have this job, buddy. Come on in, Frank. No hey, you're know. good with computers. You yeah. sell them. Maybe you can look after them for us. Yeah. It's a pretty sorry story. And I think it's all very well saying to the ransomware guys, look, we're not going to pay up. But if you don't have any backups, if you haven't got a backup infrastructure in place, maybe that's not the right decision to make. Now, Ask Technica, they asked Baltimore for information about how patching was going, uh, whether there were any disaster recovery plans which existed. Right. Yeah, yeah. All the basic Security 101 questions, right? right? But uh, uh, they haven't been able to get a response because apparently the documents don't exist um, because they were lost in the ransomware attack and weren't backed up. Um, this is not just like one screw-up from one individual. This seems like a kind of consolidated mass of screw-ups. In all, it's believed the attack will have cost at least $18.2 million. Well, And much as and I hate the idea of paying the ransomware baddies, maybe it might have made sense to have spent some of that money um, getting the data back and then securing the systems. I mean, the way politics are going now, it wouldn't be a surprise that, you know, there's actually a money trail that follows through here on who actually capitalized on this huge payment. Oh, you mean where the $18.2 million yeah. ends up? Where did that go? You're so cynical, Crow. Oh, you just should do more homework. You just, <laughs> just everything's a conspiracy. I can't help yeah, it. I'm, it? Just, I'm, I'm asking the question no one wants you to You probably ask. think it's Nessie, don't you? Or the Sasquatch. <laughs> I just, it. yeah, no, it's just, it's just a shocking story. Actually, it's a. Sh I think listeners will be shocked as well. You kind of expect a city to operate at a higher level of security. Just have a bloody this. backup. That's all we're asking for, Baltimore. No, please. it's not all we're asking for. Back it up. Back it up. Back it up. And encrypt your data. So, Kroll, what have you got for us this week? Okay, I know I bang on all the time about home assistance, right? Just a few episodes ago, I talked about the latest whacktastic always-on listening gadgets. Whacktastic? You remember that ring uh, that both had a microphone and a speaker in it? I mean, please. Oh, yeah. Anyway, many people poo-poo my views on these home assistants. Uh, you know, who cares what they hear? You know, these assistants are so convenient. You mean they're these so cool. smart speaker things? Is that, yeah. That's what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they're called, home assistants. I, I'm sure you know that. I just call them dinguses. Right. I think okay. that's the best name for them, Dingo. Do you? Okay. Yeah. Well, you just do that mental translation every time I okay. say the word. <laughs> so people are telling me all the time how cool they are, blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, or they say, yeah, I know, I know they do collect information or they're not great, but they keep using them, right? They leave yeah. them plugged in all the time. Yeah. So this story is for the guys out there that have these devices in their houses and are choosing not to secure them. The deniers, I'm going to call them. I, and I bet lots of our listeners, even though they are obviously the finest, most smartest listeners and probably considering becoming patrons of ours, I bet a large percentage of them do have these smart speakers in their homes. Oh, sure. There are loads of people that I would say are yeah. security aware with these in their houses yeah. that I know. Yeah. 
Yeah. People that have been on this show as Ooh, guests. Right. So folks should listen up to this. What are you going to reveal about them? So this is reported by Ars Technica. So some German researchers are raising the alarm of third party malicious eavesdropping and phishing apps. How's that for a mouthful? <laughs> on Amazon and Google Home Assistant. So the download is this. Yeah. It turns out that people with shady aims or, you know, digital internet hackers or attackers could have been recording the things you say near your Google or Amazon device, all without your knowledge, and even <laughs> dupe you into giving away your username and password. I am shocked. Are you suggesting that if we bring an internet-connected device into our homes, which has an always-on microphone, that somehow that might actually snoop upon us, and it may be bad for security? This is this is going to make headlines. Yep. <sighs> Not bored of that joke yet. <laughs> <laughs> Not bored at all. <laughs> okay, but this is what's interesting about this. Right. This is not um, people employed by Amazon or Google that are hearing snippets of your conversations. Right, because that has happened before. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. We've read about that in yeah, the press, yeah, right? Yeah. We've talked about it yeah. on our show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is about third-party apps. These are apps that are called on the Amazon device, they're called the Skills yes. apps. And on Google Home, it's called Actions, right? So these are the apps that work with those home devices and assistants. And not all those apps, it turns out, do what they say on the tin. Mm. So researchers at Germany's security research labs developed a handful of apps for Amazon and Google Home assistants. Yes. All of these apps pass the initial vetting services from Google and Amazon. These are the services that um, are always telling you how trustworthy and how great they are. Yeah. Rigorous checks. Yes. Yeah. Rigorous. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Rigorous. Rigorous checks. Rigorous checks. So one of these apps posed as a random number mm -hmm. generator because that's what you want on your Alexa and Google device. <laughs> I can't think of a random number. <laughs> Alexa, can you help me? Okay. Yes, and seven right. of these apps were basically horoscope-based. Okay. So this is how the researchers were able to show that attackers could be using this method to steal information. Okay. Mm -hmm. So so you decide you want to be you want to use this my lucky horoscope. That's the name of the app. And you sign up and say fantastic. And you have this app, right? So you wake right. up in the morning and you might go over to your device. Your, Should your I even device. get out of bed? I'm thinking. Yeah, sh no, of course you don't have to get out of bed. No, right? but, but, no, but I'm wondering if my horoscope even says it's worth it. It may just say, don't even <laughs> yeah. bother today, Graham. Exactly. So you wake up, right? right? You open your eyes and you go, yo, yo, Alexa, you know, <laughs> or Google, ask my lucky horoscope to give me today's horoscope. All right. Yes. And it will say, what's your sign? Probably. And you'd say, what are you? I don't even know what you are. I, I'm actually, no, I, I'm Aries. I'm Aries. You're Aries. The Ram. That explains so much. <laughs> now, the home assistant starts reading out the horoscope and the mm. user is satisfied with the task and goes off to do other things, right? Mm -hmm. You might go call the kids or fight or love the spouse or burst into songs or start talking to yourself in your case, whatever. Yeah. And the researchers show that the app only appears to have completed its task. In actual fact, it stuck around for a while listening. Not only could it listen to the things you were saying, but it could also send the transcript of that information directly to the attacker. 
Now, the phishing apps, when the user requested a horoscope reading, for example, it would respond with an error message, like this service is not available in your country or something like that. And then the app creators created, added on, tacked on at the end of that message, a one minute of silence. Mm -hmm. That's something that should not be possible, according to the researchers. Mm -hmm. And they go to show how it could be exploited, that extra time. So, for example, an attacker um, could include a message like, your device needs an update. Please confirm this action with your Amazon or Google password. Ah, so that isn't a legitimate no notification of an update that is the the bad one provided by the malicious app that's right so you're you're sitting there and i don't know i think you know let's one in four people apparently in the uk and the us have one of these devices in their houses right so how many people if you suddenly heard in the proper voice please confirm your you know uh your amazon password because to update your device i think a lot of people would go yeah sure here's my password well, absolutely. And the fact that it is using the Amazon or the Google yeah. Home voice means that people, I mean, it, it's a little bit like your computer putting up a fake message saying, you know, there's an update yeah. to Adobe Flash or something. But it, it's going to be so much more convincing because you're not used to having fake updates. And so you would, exactly. so the idea is that you would then, what, you say your password? Yeah, you'd go, ah, oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, where did I put my yeah. password? Okay, <laughs> hold on. Password right? one, two, three. And go read it out. Hunter two. Well, yeah, I was going to say C-A-T. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and then, of course, if you don't have any multi-factor authentication on your Amazon or Google account, and they ask you just to verify your full email address, you're, uh, you might be entering Scrooteville, right? This isn't good. So let's just tie this all together here. The researchers were able to show that the apps with malicious intent got past the initial vetting process, right? Ran on legitimate devices and sent private audio to the researcher who was purporting to be an attacker. Now, Fabian Browline, he's a senior security consultant at uh, these labs, told Ars Technica, we now show that not only the manufacturers, but also hackers can abuse those voice assistants to intrude on someone's privacy. Yeah, because I think we were all focused on what Google and Amazon might do with this. But this has really opened it up to every Tom, Dick and Hildegard, hasn't it, to... Well, it did, but it, the doors have also closed shut okay. slightly because the recent uh, Germany Security Research Lab privately reported these results, right. right, of the research to Amazon and Google before they told us and the rest of the world right. about their findings. Mm-hmm. And these malicious phishing and eavesdropping apps are no longer available, right, for the Google and Amazon Home Assistants. And both companies say they are changing their approval process to prevent skills and actions from having similar capabilities in the future. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Well, yeah, because they've they've zapped the ones produced by these researchers. But there may be other ones which might be able to sneak past Amazon and Google's vetting. Exactly, because the way they kind of did it was quite clever. The app would get initial approval from Google or Amazon vetting services. Mm -hmm. Then the researchers would change the function calls intents. So in other words, stop and start could do other things than just stopping or starting. They could be programmed with new functions that could cause the apps to listen or log. And I'm no developer. You'd think someone might come up with something during the hardening process and go, hey, what? It, could someone just change that function on any app and it could screw up our entire device? Mm-hmm. What do you think? 
I think this is quite a problem because a lot of these apps are going to be driven by the third-party servers. And it, it's not like you can just provide a piece of code and say to Amazon and Google, check that out and see what it's capable of doing. Because I, I imagine some of this could be driven by external data being being chucked into it. It's it's not very good. I wonder if... So if, so if the Amazon or Google device have a system message... Mm. Maybe they should say it in a different accent to the messages which are played by apps. So you well, could, not it have to so, be a different accent; it could be a different so, voice entirely. Yes, yeah, so you could have a Scottish voice, you know, saying "Ock, aye, it's your muck Google device here requiring a firmware update," and then you would know because normally it's a. Uh, I don't know. I can do a Canadian accent. I can do any accent. To be honest, the world is my lobster. But uh, but yeah, but. It, 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 <laughs> But you know, but but I, I'm wondering. It feels like there needs to be a clearer differentiation between is this a message uh, from the third party written by who knows what and what they're up to. I think you're actually. I think that's a really good idea. I didn't think of that. Thank you very much. The accent thing's all yours, but I do oh, think oh, having a like differentiation that. of voices between the uh, this is Amazon and Google speaking versus this is an app speaking. Would be, you know, right. you could have, you know, you could have two different voices that make it very clear. You can choose those voices. And at the moment, there's only one, I think, that come out of the systems because they're not, the, you know, these are cheap devices, right? They are basically flogging these for as cheap as they possibly can to get them in as many households as they can. And they've succeeded. Can you buy different voices for these smart no, devices? No, I don't think so. You can't get like, you know, Peter Falk versus Columbo or something. I don't know. I don't know. Should have done more research. I know. I know. <laughs> okay. So advice for you deniers out there, right? right? Yes. For all you people that say, yeah, yeah, great <laughs> crawl. Okay. These are things you can do, right? Yes. So you can limit links to external devices and personal accounts, right? You don't want to have everything tied into your little Google or Amazon mm. device, right? You want to use 2FA, especially on the account that is tied to your device. So if you have a Google Home Assistant, you want to make darn sure, extra, extra darn sure that your Google accounts have 2FA, which they should already have anyway. You want to manage your recordings. So remember how you were talking about how you went looking on your Google account and you found these actual yeah. audio recordings from your yeah. families? I wonder how long it's going to be before, you know, a researcher can show that they can be scooped up all those old recordings that are lying around in the account. So you like you want to make sure you delete old recordings from your Alexa or from your Google Home device. And another thing is Amazon and Google are never going to genuinely ask you for your password via your smart speaker, right? They're not going to ask you to shout out your credit card number, I would imagine. Certainly no, not your please password. Don't. Please don't. So Just, even if they do, do not do that. <laughs> now, this is a really cool idea. I would love to hear from people that actually use these devices to see if this is actually a convenient idea or not. But both of these devices have a mute button. And when it is muted, it is not it won't respond to you. It won't respond to voice commands, but it also will not be listening. What you do is you can enable your mic when you need to use it and then turn off the mic when you're not using it. And I know it's a bit of a pain, but it's a small price to pay for the additional privacy, I think, until these things get stabilized and legislated properly. Mm, I, I think a lot of people would find that a pain, though, don't they? A lot of people have this in the kitchen. Yeah, they're elbow they're deep in washing up. Uh, and, uh, and they just really exactly. need to hear and, a Billy Idol or something. And also... 
Do you trust the mute button? Would oh no! It, Are you asking I me? Whether, I, wonder, <laughs> I, I wonder whether there would be a market for like. You know how you have like cozies mm. for teapots to keep them warm. Whether you could have a cozy for your well, smart like a, assistant, like a, a Faraday so bag, a Faraday bag, it. right? And then it can't see you, can't hear you. Be wonderful, wouldn't it? Put it in the cardboard box. Yeah, no, I, yeah. Listen, you know what I would do? I would just unplug it and give the little bugger a bath, <laughs> right? But definitely unplug it first, though. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, you're going to get electrocuted, and I'm going to get in trouble for that. But seriously, to my mind, these things are like gremlins, but in reverse. Yes. Remember gremlins before they got wet? They were all cute and fuzzy wuzzy, and then you give them a bath, and whammo, they turn into this evil, slimy, gross monster thing that ruins your life. Don't feed them after midnight. And the water, right? Oh, and the water thing. Yeah, no, yeah, that's yes. Right. So this is the opposite, right? This is home assistants or gremlins in reverse. They go all passive and lovely once their electronics are unplugged and given a big old soak. <laughs> Watch out for those gizmos. But unplug. <laughs> Don't you love a win-win situation? Imagine if you could have both enterprise-wide password management with single sign-on. What is single sign-on? Well, Graham, let me dazzle you. Single sign-on is designed to connect employees to high-priority apps, all without needing the user to log in at every single hurdle. Now, by combining these two services... Our friends at LastPass may have just revolutionized security at the enterprise level. Learn more at lastpass.com forward slash smashing. You don't need to say the forward slash. <sighs> so you've got an IT security team, but you want to turn them into security superstars. How can you best provide each employee with the opportunity to upskill themselves? Immersive Labs provides a cloud-based system when it's available 24 hours a day, whenever is convenient for them to learn. It provides hands-on experience with tools, technology, and even sandboxed malware. The platform provides story-based threat simulations. It lets teams enhance their skills while stopping an online banking breach or the hack of industrial control systems. Lots of fun to be had there. Check out Immersive Labs' skills development platform to drive down your organization's cyber risk while reducing training costs. Check them out at immersivelabs.com slash light. Immersivelabs.com slash L-I-T-E. Okay, so it turns out that we are all bad people. Well, not all of us, most of us though, because 60% of employees who quit their jobs admit to taking data. That's why Code 42 provides data loss protection for when employees quit. It can help you detect insider threats, investigate file activity, and respond before damage is done. A really cool aspect is that at any time, Code 42 can tell you what data lives where, when it leaves, where it goes, and who has access to it. To learn more about how you can protect your company from insider threats, visit code42.com forward slash smash. Now on with the show. And welcome back. Can you join us on our favourite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Anybody? Anybody? No. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something they like. Could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they wish. It doesn't have to be security-related necessarily. Better not be. Well, my Pick of the Week this week, Kroll... 
Yes. Is not security related, you'll be pleased to hear. Thrilled. It is. <laughs> well, I found a few different websites which were quite curious. And you recently have become something of the artist, haven't you? You've been texting me images of some of the amazing painting that you have been doing. Um, I would only call it amazing from the, uh, uh, you know, for someone who's never put a, picked up a paintbrush before. It's early days, dude. It's early days. I am genuinely impressed by what you've been doing. So I have gone to a website, and our listeners can as well, called zoomquilt2.com. Okay, I'm going there right now. Okay, now it's a little bit odd. Two, like number two? Yeah, the number two, zoomquilt2.com, all one word. HTTPS, of course. We only point you to those kind of sites. And this is a web page <laughs> where you are zooming in on an image, a rather creepy, freaky, sort of spooky, <laughs> peculiar But you image. never stop zooming in. But you never stop. Because the more you go in, the more the picture changes and the more you begin to see and then you begin to see it. And it's all different kinds of art forms. And, oh, I'm in a cinema. Oh, no, I'm entering the mouth oh, of some kind of monster. Oh, really fast. Well, you can slow it down, Crow. With your mouse, you can even go into reverse as well. You've got a speed control. Oh, I see that. Yeah. Yes. Okay, I thought that was like getting to the end to see if there was an end, but there isn't. You're right. Right. And now it does ultimately loop around as well. You've watched it that long. Oh, yes, yes. And there's some others as well. There's the original Zoom Quilt, too. Uh, not with a two. <laughs> Zoom Quilt as well, which does something like this. Okay, going to look um, at that one. Yeah, I don't love this. It kind of makes me, oh, says, oh, don't go to Zoom Quilt. Oh, hang on. Have, have, I got, have, I got the, have I got the name Whoa, wrong? Whoa, back out, back oh, out. Oh, no, no, no. The original one is ZoomQuilt.org. Don't go to ZoomQuilt.com, whatever you do. ZoomQuilt.org well, is the original one. Right. Uh, there's a nice one called Arcadia with a K dot X Y Z. That's quite a nice one. You might like that one more. Actually, go to Arcadia. It's, this is basically like XYZ. looking into my husband's um, belly button. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That you're you're never. This you're... is what I imagine what would happen if I suddenly got sucked <laughs> in there. This is this is where this is what would happen. Yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> he doesn't listen. Doesn't matter. I don't know quite. I don't quite know how they did this. So I'm quite intrigued as to how on earth they did this. Like I said, they do ultimately loop round. But um, I think, you know, I was just thinking about your artistry. It's jolly clever. It's jolly clever. And I thought, oh, yes, well, you know, if you were to have a screensaver or something like that or something up on your TV rather than just watching people playing snooker, then maybe you'd want to put up something like this. Arcadia.xyz. Arcadia with a K. Uh, as the third, you know letter. what? Go to the show notes and get. Go the to the show notes. You'll find you'll find them all up there. That's a little less trippy, but um, I imagine this is a little bit like what it's. If, if you were to take LSD, I imagine it's something a bit like this. Oh, really? I don't know. I've I've only just started drinking normal tea, so right? I probably will never discover. But um, I imagine this is the kind of. Any opinions, Crow? Uh, no, nope. no, nope. nope. pass one. I'm passing on that one. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, all right. So, uh, yes, so there you are. Zoom quilt and arcadia.xyz uh, is my pick of the week. Crow, what's your pick of the week? Um, well, I am going to talk about a YouTube channel. Oh, yes. Called Historia Civilis. S- Syphilis? Civilis. There was a lot of it around in the past. 
<laughs> Links in the show notes. This is for people like me who know sweet F.A. about <laughs> Roman and pre-Roman history. Um. Um, Caesar, do you know anything about Roman elections? Do you know anything about Seneca? Most of what I know probably comes from either Asterix books or watching I, Claudius on TV back in the 1970s, which was... Right. So so I read yeah. all of the Asterix yeah. books. I was a diehard fan. I would still say that I knew nothing about the constitution of the Spartans. Okay. All right. Okay. Yes. This is, like, this is very educational, but it's done in any super cute way. So the video is almost like a board game and talking about different people are represented with little blocks and they kind of dance around the screen as the person gives the lecture on whatever Caesar in Gaul, the revolt, right? Or Cicero, his year, 63 BCE. So there's all these kind of really interesting little history windows that, you know, they run about 20 minutes a pop. Okay. And you can learn a lot. And they've done it in a very cute, refreshing way. And he speaks very precisely and slowly and says every single word clearly. Which I think is great because it must makes it useful on a much wider, more broader audience, right? People with, you know, that might have more difficulty with English could totally follow this as well. I have watched one of, or oh, some of one of these, and he does have a rather unusual vocal delivery, doesn't okay, he? Okay, but let me tell you what I learned. Okay, so yeah. in Sparta, unlike other places where if a man died, his son would get all his wealth and fortune. Right. But here, the women, the wives got the money. Okay, sounds reasonable. And you think that sounds reasonable because today that's what normally would happen, except men died super young because they were all in battle. Right. Right? So they die young, wife gets all the money, then she marries again, guy dies again, she gets all the money, she passes on that money to her children, equally to the, the say she has a daughter and a son, for example. Okay. And then that daughter starts off with quite a nice little packet. <laughs> And she marries and gets the money. And she marries, gets money. So apparently, women were not allowed to vote, weren't allowed to do anything political or make any decisions. But they were loaded. But they were loaded. They were more loaded than the two kings. What? They were like Spartan heiresses or something like that. Anyway, oh. places like Rome were really scared of these women, right? They were really, really rich. <sighs> but they scared. weren't very powerful because they weren't able to vote and they weren't able to get in and make decisions in policy. But, but if they had lots of money, couldn't they tell other people how to vote? So watch the show. Watch the shows. Ooh. Anyway, I think it's great. Ooh. I think he's done his homework. I think he's done it in a very controlled fashion. And it's a refreshing but educational take. So check out Historia Civilis. I will not syphilis. Not syphilis, <laughs> folks. Starts with a C. I'll put a link in the show notes for everybody. And check it out. Well, that just about wraps it up for this week. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at smash in security. No G. Twitter wouldn't allow us to have a G. And you can also continue the discussion with us on Reddit. You can join us up there. Uh, just search for the subreddit, the Smashing Security subreddit. Again, to this week's Smashing Security sponsors, Code42, LastPass, and Immersive Labs. Their amazing support helps us give you this show for free. And thank you, wonderful listeners and supporters. But don't hit pause just yet. No, Rachel's coming. Rachel's coming. Exciting time. After the music, we are going to hear from Rachel Stockton, who's talking about a brand new report from LastPass. You can check out this report at smashingsecurity.com slash LastPass report, and we'll bring you right to it. Okay, take a listen. 
insect, something weird is happening. I hope I'm not being thrown out. Everything's frozen. Hold on. Yeah, Can you still, still hear me? Hear you. Yep. Okay, we're good. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> no, that's great. That's actually a cute beginning. <laughs> oh, great. Oh, great. Oh, everything's frozen. Can you still hear me? <laughs> great. Let's do this. As you can hear, the delightful and insightful Rachel Stockton of Log Me In, the company behind LastPass, is with us for another special interview. Thank you so, so much for making the time to chat with us. Cut between us. It's a bit more fun than one of the meetings, right? <laughs> Don't even get me started. <laughs> I'm totally going to send you this meme, and I want you to put this up by, uh, by this discussion. Uh, but yes, it is it is 100% more fun. <laughs> now, you guys just put out some research, and I was hoping to get your kind of special insight on it, because you obviously you have the inside scoop. Yeah, definitely. By using data from over 47,000 organizations, we've been able to really understand different trends that we're seeing, password management, different trends that we're seeing when it comes to multi-factor authentication, and how these really differ from businesses who are smaller, let's say less than 1,000 employees and higher, um, so bigger businesses. So yeah, it's very cool to be able to use what people are doing to be able to, to help others learn. And use you do. This is a beefcake of a report coming in at a whopping 42 two pages. This must have taken some time to compile. I'll tell you, our machine learning team was incredible on this, and it's really helped us gain a lot of insights. Oh, that's kind of cool. Now, in the introduction, you guys write, quote, we want to help IT and security professionals understand the greatest obstacles employees face when it comes to passwords. So I thought this was a good place to start. They're very similar to what we've seen actually year over year which is the number of passwords that are expected and how hard it is to remember all of those. That has not really changed too much over time. And I think that is one of the biggest challenges that employees face. We have seen some very interesting things this year, though, in a difference between um, small businesses and, and larger businesses in the number of passwords and some of the things and negative things that come from that, like password reuse. I'm guessing that password reuse is one of the biggest um, problems that you're still facing in password world. Yeah, it definitely is on a personal, you know, for personal users, but in the businesses too. And you can't forget, there's a lot of overlap between personal and business passwords. And now, of course, people have way more uh, sites to pay attention to than ever before, right? There's a lot more uh, user logins that they have to um, dig out. And why not use the same password all the time? Because it's easier to remember. Definitely. So what we found when we looked at businesses today, people in small businesses have on average 85 passwords that they need to remember. <laughs> and so think about just all of those little systems. Mm. And we found that small businesses, and this is not that small, organizations, a thousand employees and below, um, they reuse about 10 to 14 passwords. Really? And Yes. And so, you know, that's what, like 15% of all their passwords are reused. But here's the interesting thing. Larger organizations, greater than a thousand, they have decreased the number of passwords that employees need to use down to 25. And with that, 
about four of them are reused. I'm going to guess why that is. Okay. Okay. Ready? Hold on. Okay. Drum roll. <laughs> I'm going to guess that's because uh, big companies, enterprises can afford consolidated enterprise solutions where maybe you can have a single sign on to all the options within that, that service. You're 100% right. Boom. Boom. Totally. <laughs> um, that, yes, I, I, I believe so too. I mean, we found that about 50% of organizations are using SSO, but the vast majority of those are larger organizations. And what's interesting, and I think we've talked about this before, is this doors and windows concept. Yeah. You know, single sign-on is exactly what that is. I mean, everybody listening understands that. It's one place for all your employees to be able to access the applications that you care most about. And while that sounds super easy, there's an incredible amount of integration that has to go on to have that be seamless. And that is an incredible amount of work for IT. So that ability has to be very easy. But that does take away the number of passwords that um, that somebody needs to remember. And this kind of explains why small businesses are sitting ducks when it comes to things like ransomware or social engineering attacks, because they have too many accounts to remember. They're, of course, reusing passwords, and they're not all using password managers. It's true. And remember what we talked about last time? Even your listeners came back and agreed. The general IT manager in a small, medium business, their back is up against the wall. They have so many things to do. Uh, so figuring out how to solve these problems in a world that's changing very quickly is hard. And the risk is huge. You mentioned you know, ransomware and things like that. The latest Verizon data breach report, 43% of all attacks are on SMBs. And um, I believe it was in CISA, and CISA is the month, 60% of those SMBs that get attacked go out of business. So this is serious stuff. Yeah. You just don't have the resiliency to bounce back if you get hit by something like a piece of ransomware, mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. You just don't have those reserves if it's, as a smaller business. Okay. So they have all these passwords. Um, they don't have the same IT resources and they don't have the same budget. What advice do you have for small businesses, IT guys and companies that want to be more resilient against, um, against these threats? I think one of the biggest things to really think about are what are behaviors that you can enforce? Um, and, um, and if you're going to invest in something, ensure that you know how you could be able to fully roll, roll it out. When we look at, um, the windows and doors, the passwords with SSO um, that you're going to centralize with SSO, and then the passwords that you don't have as much control over, those applications that people either bring in or just really on top of priority for you to integrate. Mm. Looking for a solution that's easy to use but does both of those because there's no point in really just doing one or the other um, when you can do both. But it has to be easy and it has to be able to be rolled out successfully. If you can have your cake and eat it, why not, right? <laughs> <laughs> you definitely can. But here's the other thing. It does not have to be done all at the same time. Right. You know, you can sort of take it piece by piece or bite by bite in your metaphor. <laughs> so uh, let me get back to the report for a second. It's not all doom and gloom in this report, is it? Your findings show that multi-factor authentication use is on the rise. I read up 12 percent points over last year. So about 57 percent of the organizations who are using LastPass are using multi-factor authentication. And that's great. That increase is important because the fact is, whether it's a password manager or single sign-on, when somebody gets access to either one of those, they have the keys to the kingdom. And so best practice is always to protect with multi-factor authentication. But even bringing that back to the small, medium business, I mean, that's a place still where, um, you know, less than a third of organizations are 
protecting their business with multi-factor authentication. And I think that could be a very, very quick win for some of the listeners out here. I remember talking to some customers recently at an event that we held, and one of the things that they that they were challenged by with multi-factor authentication was still like getting it by the users. Mm-hmm. Always comes mm-hmm. back to that. And I do think that, you know, if you've looked at solutions a year ago, that a lot of things have changed. There's a lot of different things out there that'll enable biometrics, simple ease of use. Um, and so it might even be time to reevaluate. Why do you think this, there's a steep rise in the use of multi-factor authentication now? Regulations and things like the Privacy Act and GDPR and the constraints that that's putting on some businesses, do you think that's kind of forcing the hand of some companies that might otherwise be turning a blind eye to the cybersecurity risk? It's interesting. You have like government and regulations pushing down, but you also have multi-factor authentication taking more of a natural place in a consumer's life. Mm-hmm. So there's even more of bringing that to work. And, you know, now you authenticate to applications like you authenticate into your phone every day. So I think that's actually both. And, and who knows? Who knows where we'll be, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now when it comes to gaining access and proving you are who you that's are. That's why I love working in this industry so much, really. Um, just a mm-hmm. bit, but I just love how fast it moves. Like both the, you know, the, both the good side and then the bad side tries to keep up and the good side gets ahead. And it's just, you know, there's a little bit of excitement there, isn't there? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is real. I mean, what we do, what, what your listeners do, what my company does and the other tech companies do, I mean, we really are trying to make a difference and protect organizations and protect economics. And, you know, this is real stuff. (laughs) This is a real risk. Now, one thing I found in your report I wanted to ask you about just before we go is that uh, you broke down the use of multi-factor authentication by country. So the leader of the pack, the top performer was Denmark. And Mm -hmm. still, Denmark couldn't boast more than 50% of businesses using multi-factor authentication. So there's still a long road ahead, don't you think? Yeah, I definitely think. And even if you look down the top uh, five, I think, let me even look, eight, they're non-American. They're, they're Denmark, Netherlands, Switzerland, which I think goes right back to your point about regulations. And I mean, GDPR had mm-hmm. a huge impact on, impact on these countries mm-hmm. and the U.S. as well. Um, but I think we really see that here. And yes, it not being over 50% mm-hmm. is very interesting. Um, and it does say there's still a lot of work to do to understand why not. And um And then both ways, how to make it easier to implement, more cost-effective to implement, and make sure people understand why they have to. Okay. And finally, and finally, I know you have to go, but what are the kind of three top takeaways you'd have for any IT guy or gal out there who needs to get a better handle on their cybersecurity and, you know, get their guys educated? You know, you need to make a plan. Like I said, you have to take this bit by bit, particularly if you're in a smaller company. Um, so, you know, you have to look broadly, do some learning, um, but then make a plan. And with that, you know, I think first steps there really are thinking about what's that lowest common, um, you know, what's that lowest hanging fruit. And I think one of the first things you can look at is what are the things that you can be protecting more with multi-factor authentication? Yeah. 
of your systems, what are they? Um, and, you know, find that. And then I think the second piece is how do you close those doors and the windows? Um, with multi-factor authentication, you kind of put like this huge lid on everything, but there's so much work you need to do behind the scenes. And I think those are the, the, the three that I would look at. Make a plan, look at multi-factor authentication, and then look at how you're going to be sort of consolidating access to simplify for your employee. Thank you so, so much for making the time to come on the show once again. We love having you on. Listeners, if you have any thoughts on what Rachel and I have discussed today, do tweet to us and tell us your thoughts or ask your questions. This, I was going to do a CyberWire sign off. (laughs) (laughs) It must be. Do you feel like like total multiple personalities sometimes? Yep, yep, yep. Um, Thank you, Rachel, so much. Thank you so much. Nice work, Carol. Very interesting hearing that. Don't sound impressed. What? <laughs> you always sound so impressed. Like, oh, Carol, you did a good job there. Wow. I don't think I always sound impressed, Carol. I don't think, I don't think you can <laughs> say that. You don't always sound impressive. That's what I'm going to say. So remind me again where I can download this report from. You can get it from smashingsecurity.com slash LastPass report. Boom. Lovely. Until next time. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye. Don't be a stranger. Find us on Patreon. Speak next week. Okay. (laughs) What? Okay. (laughs) 